Well, welcome to Gospel Saving Church, everybody. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise be to God. I'm so glad you're here. I, I hope you did not come here to be entertained because I'm not going to entertain you. I'm not a musician. I'm not a, I'm not a showman. I'm a, I'm a preacher of the Word of God. So that's what we're here to do. We're here to learn the Word of God, and that's what I'm here to teach you. I'm here to teach you the Word of God. If this is your first time here, listen to me. Hello, I'm Pastor Ed. This is Gospel Saving Church, one of gospel, one of God's true churches of these last days, and this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. We always start with a word of prayer because we know that the Word says that we can't understand anything unless God shows us or unless God teaches us. So if you guys would please join me in a word of prayer, I'd surely appreciate it. and Ask the Lord for His blessing on this message and my mouth and your ears and our hearts, for we know that our hearts are so hard sometimes. Lord, we thank you, Lord God, for bringing us here. We thank you, Lord God, for your precious word. God, we thank you so much for your awesome love. We thank you so much, Lord God, for your awesome forgiveness. Lord God, for you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, Lord God. If, of course, if, we, if we're faithful to ask and repent, Lord, then you are faithful to forgive us of our sins, Lord God. As, as hard as that is for us sometimes, Lord God, when we do sin, to receive that forgiveness, Lord, we, we thank you, Lord. You are a man of your word, God in heaven, and there's nobody that keeps their word like you do, Lord God. There's nobody, Lord. So we just thank you so much, Lord God, that you are a man, a, a, a God of your word, Lord. And if your word says something, Lord, we can stand on it, Lord, stronger than any promise, than any rock, than any bridge, than any cement, than anything that we stand on in this earth, that's for sure. Lord God, for, so we, we just thank you, Lord, for that. And we, we ask and pray, Lord God, of course, that you would help us to understand what you have to say to us today. Help us, Lord God, to understand your word, Lord, because we know, Lord, your word says, we stand on your word, Lord, we, in, in, in the physical man, and I have this happen to me all the time, when, these, when all kinds of the miracles that happen to me, like you make happen to me, Lord, I, I just don't understand them in my physical man. My, my physical brain goes, what? I, how, how, did that, how did that happen? But then with the Spirit, I discern and I go, wow, that was, that's amazing, God. So, Lord, we ask, Lord God, that you'd help us to put our physical brains to the side. Help us, Lord, not to, not to try to understand your word with a physical side, Lord. Help, help us, Lord God, speak to us. Uh, by, our, by your Holy Spirit to our souls, Lord, to our spirits, Lord, to the, the spirit man, the soul man that can't understand your word if you help us, Lord. So we love you and we praise you and we thank you, Lord God. And we ask that you all, we ask all these things, Lord God, in, in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. So our title of our sermon today is Vengeance is Mine, I Will Repay, saith the Lord. And we'll be in Acts chapter 12, verses 20 through 24. Only just a few verses today. I'll give you a moment to get your Bibles open, and, and then we'll read and we'll, we'll take a break. We, um, we used to do overviews at this church of last week's message. I just now basically give just a short little overview, and I don't, I don't give much just because the Lord, Lord showed me. It was taking, taking too long to get into the message of today, into, the, into His Word for today. So... Praise God. If we're all there, Acts chapter 12, verses 20 through 24, I'm going to read them. You can listen along or you can follow along, whatever you want to do. It's up to you. Whatever God, let, whatever God says is okay for you in your life. The Bible says this. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus the king's personal aid, their friend, they asked for peace, because their country was supplied for food by the king's country. 21. So on a set day, arrayed in royal apparel, set on his throne, he sat on his throne and gave an oration to them, or, or you could say a speech. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him, because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. But our last verse, verse 24, but the word of the Lord grew and multiplied. So last week we read of Herod, or Satan's really his inspiration, right? Herod's war on Christ's church, okay? But then, of course, who's against Christ's church would be Satan ultimately. And so we read of Herod or Satan's war on Christ's church and, and of the Christians' retaliation to this war. Remember, we talked about that. This retaliation was their constant and fervent prayer Right, which are Christians' greatest weapons. You, you, you can be sure of that. 
This is the greatest weapons that you have, Christians, against Satan and his followers, both spiritual and physical. Be assured of that. You, you cannot fight a spiritual being with your hands or fists of flesh. It's just not going to work. So you have to use your greatest weapon of prayer and God saw their dedication and, and why they even went to war. Remember, Peter had been arrested and, and he was about to be murdered. And so what did they do? They, God saw, they, they picked up their greatest weapon of prayer and they showed their love and their dedication for Peter and, and that they were not willing to what? They weren't willing to just lay down and take the things that Satan and Herod were doing. They, they were like, they saw the attack and they're like, no, we're just not going to stand for that. And what did they do? Again, they loved Peter. They, they wanted to defeat Satan, and they picked up their weapon of prayer. And even though the Scripture tells us that they prayed with little to no faith, because remember, Peter came knocking at the door, and Rhoda comes, and he goes back to the people, and they're, no, you're out of your mind. He can't be here, which shows us that they really weren't even believing that they, God was going to deliver Peter from the, from the peril. So even though they prayed with little to no faith, since God is faithful, praise be to God, even when we have no faith, he answered their persistence and their prayer with the deliverance of Peter, thwarting Herod and Satan's total victory over his church. Praise God, he's so faithful. He gives us the victory if we'll just run to Him for our refuge. Praise be to God. He is our strong tower, by the way. He is our strong tower. Today we read of another awesome characteristic of our great King, as the title just alluded to. Does God just let Herod and Satan's evil against the Apostle James and Peter's horrible arrest and prison stay and intention to put him to death. Does God just let this kind of treatment of his kids go with zero consequences? You know, oh, oh, that's nice, Herod, you did that. Oh, bless you, my son. Heavens? No. God doesn't let it, him go without what he did. Today we read uh, God making good on his word. As I mentioned earlier, God is big on keeping his word. Uh, so what part of God's word is God good at keeping? Romans 12, 9. We see it here with Herod. Beloved, we read Paul, right? Do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place for wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And having to do with Herod, I really believe that what we read today, what we're going to study today, when we finally get into the study here in just a moment, we read that this section is God's occasion against Herod for the evil that he was doing in attacking God's church. For vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Well, we can't forget that. We cannot defend ourselves. We can pray. We can ask God. God is our defender. If we're really his, we can't even defend ourselves. Acts 12, 21, read it again. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord. Having made blasts the king's personal aid, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So the people of the cities of Tyre and Sidon, uh, ancient times, this would have been Phoenicia or Phoenicia, I don't know how you say it, or today it would be considered Lebanon, if you get an idea of where we're at here. And they find out where Herod is, and what do they do? They set up an appointment to talk with him, to try to make things right for them. Obviously, they had done something that made him angry, right? And they work to do what? They work to get an audience or an appointment with him by making friends with the king's personal assistant, Blastus. And of course, if you want to make things good, right, with the king, what do you do? You get on his personal aide's best side, right? You can't necessarily generally talk to the king, but you can get to the king's assistant, and this is very wise to do what they did. Saying of today, and very true of forever, right, this saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And that's good for today, yesterday, and tomorrow. What motivated them to go through all this effort to have this meeting with Herod? Well, their concern for their well-being, their concern for their food, of course, because obviously the Herod's country supplied these people with their food, right? So this concern for their lives and for their well-being, and obviously this might have even been during that great, uh, that great famine that they were talking about, uh, that we read about. So, of course, King Herod supplying them for food, that would have been a big thing, but Bible just said that they relied upon Herod for their sustenance, period, the end, hands down, right? And so if the king's responsible for feeding you, you want to stay on his good side. So what they do here is actually very wise, is very smart. Uh, it, it's very shrewd, 
of them to do what they did here. Is it wrong to be shrewd? Is it wrong to be wise? That's not what the Bible says. What these people do here remind me of what Jesus Christ spoke on in Luke 16, the unjust steward. Remember, he had gotten himself in trouble, Luke 16. Probably wasn't doing his job well. So his master ends up uh, telling him that he's fired, right? Because he was doing a bad job. And that's where, of course, he, he was in the wrong. And when, of course, he received the news, the unjust steward goes out quickly, decides to make friends with those who owed his master money by telling them that they could settle accounts with his master, but not pay the full amount, an amount less than what they owed. So, for instance, you owe the master $12? Hey, don't worry. Sit on down. Give me $8 and we'll call it even. Well, what wise businessman is not going to do that? And that's just a wise thing to do. Hey, I owe you 15 bucks, but you're only going to take five and you're going to call it even? Heck yeah, man. I'll, let's do it. I'm ready. So, of course, they were excited. He was excited. And, of course, what was his motive, though? They, of course, would have been very fond or favorable of the unjust steward as he was hoping that they would be. Right, And why? His hope, of course, would be then once he was fired by his main master that these other people would maybe hire him in because he, he said he couldn't or I would say wouldn't want to be a, uh, a hard laborer or, or a laborer. Right? He, wanted to, uh, he, he was hoping that they would hire him in and that he could be their steward as he knew his master was going to fire him. And Jesus Christ commended him for the way in which he did business. Luke 16, 8. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in this generation than the sons of light. Jesus, Jesus Christ did not commend him for doing anything sinful. He didn't do anything sinful. He saw a situation arise where he was about to be out of a job. Okay, And what did he do? He said, I don't want to be out of a job. I can't be out of a job. i got to pay my fam. i got to pay my bills. i got to do something so that after, my, after I get fired or after I lose my job here, i gotta, I got to get back on my feet. And so he did something that was shrewd. And Jesus commended him because he did something that was good. My job situation, almost just recently, uh, not that I was going to get fired, but they were putting a lot of heat on me. And, and, and the way it goes in retail is the more money you make, the, the, you know, the, the quicker the axe drops, you know, as, as changes are made and, you know, people, all they care about in these corporations is bean counting. And so, of course, I made a lot of money there and they were putting a lot of pressure on me. So being shrewd, seeing that there was a possibility that, you know, maybe they were trying to force me out. The Lord led me and I went from somewhere else and I was like, hey, this is what I got. And they said, come on. And then I had people fighting for me for a job. And so I actually kind of had the same situation, except I didn't, wasn't doing a bad job. I just kind of used wisdom and was shrewd. And I said, you know, all right, well, you know, maybe I ought to do something different. Lord, lead my way. And of course, the Lord led my way. And here, because this fellow was proactive or shrewd, Jesus Christ gives him a boost while giving a negative connotation to his servants or Christians. Because all too often, children of God out there that are listening to me in this message, we are not shrewd enough or not shrewd at all. We just kind of sit back and don't act with basic common sense when things happen because we kind of throw common sense out the window, but we really need to have common sense. That's and something important that God wants us to have. Is it, it, it is biblical to be wise and shrewd uh, as the unjust steward just was. Jesus Christ also commands us to be wise, but not just any wise. Jesus Christ commands us to be wise as serpents, Matthew 10, 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as does. Wise as, wise as serpents, yet, of course, Jesus Christ is not saying to be deceptively wise, right? Like those that we uh, know, we call today snakes, right? We call people, certain people in our world today snakes. And what do they do? They, they steal money. They take money from people and they do it in a, and they do it in a, and they do it in a, a, a sinful way. And of course, Jesus Christ is not telling us to be wise like snakes and do those things that way. Of course, that's clear. God does never want us to sin. In fact, his will is that we never sin ever again. Uh, that, that day will come when we get to heaven one day, but of course, not right now. Of course, so wise though, like shrewd using your brain to think things through when something odd happens. Using your common sense and wisdom. Hey, you know, this happened now. All right, well, let me, let me look at that. Let me think about that. Let me use my wisdom. Let me use my brain and, and, and meditate on that and pray about that. And, and then if, if you think there might be something, then take action. 
course, like we just read about in Scripture today, taking action. Why is very much like how the disciples of Jesus Christ, Peter's fellow Christians, whom Satan inherited, remember I just talked about this, made war last week on, who, what happened when this war came? They, they were shrewd. They were wise. And what did they do? They picked up their weapons and they went to war. Uh, they didn't just sit back and take it. They were shrewd. They were wise. And they did what God told them to do. And they prayed. So I'll say again, Christians, God doesn't want you to sin in any way by being shrewd or wise. Just be quick to make godly adjustments or decisions or action using wise judgments if necessary when things come up like, of course, we read about in our scripture. So I gave you examples of shrewd judgment calls using wisdom and being prayerful with my situation with Herod and Satan's war on the church, the unjust steward, myself. Um, but what about a sinful way to be shrewd? Is there a sinful way to be shrewd? You better believe that there is. A, a way in which Christians should not be shrewd. A way that we should not use wisdom. Look at what the people of Tyre side and do next. I'll show you next verse, two verses from now, but first look at verse 21. On a set day, Herod arrayed in a royal peril, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. So they got their day and their audience with Herod to apologize to him, trying to get on his good side, which is the wide and shrewd thing that they did and how they went about doing it. But it looks like he has some type of speech to make first. I'm not sure here, we don't read it, if they got their... Uh, their appointment first and they got to talk first or if he had to give his speech first but knowing the way the Roman Empire worked and knowing the way that you know just these Roman hierarchies worked there's a, there was a lot of pride in the Roman ranks so chances are I'm guessing that just if I had to use my wisdom what I've been talking about here today he had to speak first because you know he had to have the first stage you know of course and we're going to read here a little bit he really wanted the first stage but anyway look at how Look at how they are sinfully shrewdful, or shrewd, how you can say. Look at verse 22. And while he's giving this speech, the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Ouch. Now here's where we see their wise yet shrewd but very shrewdful actions come in. I'll call it their sinful shrewdness. Why do I say that this is sin? Because as he's given a speech, they're trying to impress or flatter him and be smart and shrewd and get back on his good side, which was good. But unfortunately, they do it by calling him a God. Now, come on. Nobody's a God. There's one God. A lot of people profess to be God. A lot of people claim to be God. But of course, there's only one God. And, and I, I just told you the Roman Empire, there was a lot of pride in there. So of course, that's what we see. And remember, they were trying to flatter him with this praise because he was their provider. And they didn't want him, and they didn't want him to be angry with him. So all that they did up to this point was actually godly. You, you know, we don't know if they were godly people or not godly people, but all they did up to this point, it was godly. But at the point where you're trying to flatter him and call him a god, that, that crosses the border. We must always watch out. We must always, sorry, we must always watch out and how we use our wisdom and how we are shrewd because it is just a fine line in what we do to be godly shrewd or ungodly shrewd. Now, for a long time, I always thought that this section of scripture that they were telling, hey man, sit down. We want to hear from God. But of course, as I started reading, as I started studying, I love when I Study the Bible. Studying the Bible is the best thing to do, right? Amen. We can't just read the Bible. we got to study the Bible, right? Amen. That's right. And of course, as I started to study the Bible in this section, God showed me, he says, use your wisdom, my son. Use your common sense, my son. And think of this. If they were not calling him God, and if they were just saying, hey, sit down, man. We want to we wanna hear God's voice and not yours. How would you get on the king's good side by telling them to sit down and shut up, we want to hear from God. So, of course, God helped me use my wisdom, and he showed me, of course, by his Holy Spirit, that, of course, they were really and initially calling him a God, right? And that is not good. Christians, don't go there. Be wise as a serpent and shrewd like the examples I've given, but not in a sinful way. Jesus 
Christ told us these ways are good, but he didn't tell us to be shrewd unto sin like these people here were here with Herod. Bible tells us that there's one God and only one true God, right? And that would be Jehovah God and his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And God's word is very clear and he, that he and only he is due the adoration of being God. And this adoration is never Never, 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 ever supposed to go to an angel or any other person or any other false god, but only the one true God. Revelation 14, 6 and 7. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him. Did it say fear Herod and give glory to Herod? No, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth. Who are we supposed to worship? Each other, the angels, our rulers, heavens. No, fear him and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. That's who we're supposed to worship. That's who we're supposed to praise. And of course, those who choose to reject Jehovah, Jesus Christ, who don't respond to his calling and and they worship other small little G-gods and other things as gods aside from God Almighty and Jesus Christ. Look at what God tells us through Paul's mouth in Romans 1, 18-23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them, that would be their conscience, for God has shown it to them, and that would be all creation. That'd be the all creation that God shows us, that testifies of him, right? 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So they were without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. And that's what we see here, the people of Tyre and Sidon. They weren't giving the glory and honor and the praise due to the one true God of heaven and earth. They were giving the glory and honor and praise to the one true false little G-God, Herod, right? The pompous, self-seeking, self-glorifying, the lust of the eyes, the pride of the life, heartless and murderous Herod. That's who they were given their praise and their glory to. Crazy what people will worship, isn't it? Crazy what people will worship instead of Jehovah, instead of Jesus Christ. People will worship, and we see it all here in America, especially you, when you, you know, that trip you just came back from, right? We'll worship money, cars, jobs, women, jewelry, religion, houses, boats, sex, drugs, music. What do all those things have in common? What do people worship the most? The things that please themselves. So who's their real God? Their real God is not really the devil. The devil just puts that temptation out there. Their real God is who? Themselves. Because you either will worship yourselves or you'll worship Jehovah. You'll worship the one true God. That makes me sad and I know it does Jehovah as well too. Just how do their actions fly in the faces of the one and only true God of heaven and earth? And how do their actions fly in the face of the murderous and wicked small K King Herod? Look at verse 23. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. Ouch. Herod accepts their worship and adoration for himself, which is terribly sinful. Uh, Remember I told you last week that his super sinfulness will get him in trouble this week and we just saw it there and god almighty holds him guilty and and has one of his angels strike him and then kill him and we read of his terrible end worms eating him ouch what a way to go huh what a way to go and and believe it or not this event is even recorded in history because you know what i'm big on i'm big on is the bible is it always justifiably true Because, you know, everybody has a religion and everybody has a belief. But can we justify as Christians our belief? 
Do, do you know, Christians, that you actually have justifiable proof for your faith, not just like the other people of the world that have their religions? Anyway, I, I love how we can justifiably prove the Bible, and it's not just, well, because we just feel a certain way about this faith, right? Actually, this event is recorded by Flavius Josephus. And he wrote this account of Herod Agrippa's death, which matches the account find in the, found in the Bible. Look at this. After This is all uh, Josephus now. After Agrippa had ruled in Judea for three full years, he traveled to a city of Caesarea, which in the past was called Strato's Tower. There he put an exhibition in honor of Caesar, declaring this to be a festival for the emperor. And there came a large number of officials and those of high-ranking status. At sunrise on the following day, he put on a robe made of silver and walked into the theater. Then the silver shone brightly as the sun's first rays fell upon it, and he sparkled in the sunlight, dazzling the crowd and causing a sort of fear and trembling to those who were viewing the spectacle. Can't, can't you just see his pompous pride and just his... Look at me, everybody. Look at how fantastic I am. That, that's terrible. Right there, he's like, hey, look me. I'm God. The crowds then began to shout from various parts of the theater, words which in truth were not for his best, addressing him as a God and crying out, we have in the past honored you as a man, but now we honor you as one with a nature greater than any mortal being. And this isn't from the Bible. Guys, this is from a Jewish historian, and this exactly matches the Bible. Now, now there's a little bit, there's a little bit of difference here. There's a, we see Luke take one path here, and then we see uh, Flavius take another path here. The king did not rebuke him nor disagree with their flattery of the crowd. Shortly afterwards, he experienced a violent attack with a severe pain in his stomach. The king was carried quickly into the palace. And word of this account reached the ears of all his subjects. And it would not be long before he died. Stomach, intestines, died. And when he had suffered for five straight days from the pain in his stomach, he died at the age of 54 after ruling for seven years. And of course, that'd be three years in Judea and then four years somewhere else. Josephus leaves out the part with the worms, but remember, Josephus was an historian. He wasn't a doctor. Luke, on the other hand, who wrote Acts, he was a physician, right? So basically, Luke would have gone in to study what happened to Herod or talk to other physicians that were treating him for those five days that Herod suffered, and they realized that Herod was suffering from worms eating his body, and that's what eventually killed him. And sure enough, it turns out, even today, it turns out if a person gets this most simplest thing like a tapeworm, they can grow and multiply in your intestines, which are where the intestines are where they're in your stomach area, right? And if untreated, which in America, generally, unless you just have a problem and you just refuse to go to a doctor and do nothing about it, nobody's going to die from this. But of course, if you're pompous and you believe yourself to be a god and you think you're all that, of course, I don't need the physicians. And so if untreated, like he would have been untreated, they can absolutely kill you because they are parasitic. Tapeworms are parasitic. And what do parasites do? Well, parasites live off of, or you could say, how do they live off you? They eat you, just like Luke, the physician, records happened to Herod. Pretty neat how the Jewish non-Christian Josephus wrote the exact account that God records in his word, and began because he was not a Christian, his account is absolutely, totally admissible as evidence or support for the Bible. End result, the Bible's true, guys, and it can be trusted 100%. I'm big on that. I know some people don't always think I'm right on doing that, but I'm big on, hey, we can trust the Bible. It's, it's proof. It's real. There's, there's real evidence for it. Anyway, now, if I've said already, I believe that God Almighty set up this occasion against Herod to take vengeance against him for the evil he committed against his church, Peter, James, and, and for the scripture says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Uh, how can I say this kind of thing? Well, because there were plenty of Roman rulers, you see, that proclaimed themselves to be God. Actually, Augustus Caesar, Julius Caesar, uh, his boy, for one, he claimed himself to be the son of God. As he was reigning, there was a comet that came into the atmosphere, and the people looked up and they said, oh, that's Julius. And so they said, well, then Augustus, his boy, he's the son 
of God. And so he then proclaimed himself to be God. Yet we don't read about any kind of God striking him or any kind of suffering or the fate that Herod did. So logic tells us that if God Almighty was dishing out horrible death to every single person who proclaimed themselves to be a God, then there'd be a whole lot of rulers and etc. everywhere that, we, that had been struck down in terrible ways like Herod, yet we just don't read that. So yes, God struck Herod and killed him because he was proclaiming himself to be a God, but I think that was just the occasion because since God Almighty hasn't struck down every single Roman and otherwise ruler solely for them proclaiming themselves to be a God, then it sure seems as if God was bringing judgment against Herod for the grievous actions and attacks that he was leading against Christ's church mostly and used the occasion of him proclaiming himself to be a God so that vengeance could be his. For I just can't say it enough because it really does give me comfort. And if you're a real child of God and you've been hurt by others and they've attacked you, it should give you some comfort too. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And we absolutely do read of many times in the Bible where when people attack God's kids or his church or his chosen people, the Jews, we see that God Almighty takes vengeance on them and repays them for their evils. And they don't do so well because of it. We can go back to the Old Testament. And we look at times that people attacked the Jews. And they went a little bit too overboard. Yeah, God told them to go, hey, go take my people. But then they kind of went too far. And we read about this in the Old Testament. And God says, you know what? I, I told you to kind of give them a spanking. Yeah, you pretty much destroyed them. You know, so for that, I'm taking you out. And, and we read about things like Saul in the New Testament. Now, I mean, Saul, look what he did. He persecuted the church. Now, he became God's greatest benefactor, God's greatest like preacher in the whole world, but yet he was never really the same, and God struck him with blindness for doing that. And then his, his very word to Saul was, I will show you how many things you must suffer for my name's sake. So, of course, we read all over the Scripture, we read of times in the Bible where God said, if you strike my people, they're mine, you have to deal with me. I'm daddy. Think about it. If, if you had your baby, your kid, and somebody hurt your baby or hurt your kid, I'll guarantee you vengeance would be yours, saith you. Right? And your dad. And you're a human dad. And, of course, we're made in God's image. So, if we're made in God's image... We have kind of the things and, you know, same things that God the Father, He's a Father too. He's going to take vengeance on those that hurt His kids too. So, uh, I've even seen this in my own life, actually, many times. I, I'm not boasting. I'm really sad for the times that I've seen this. Because if this one time, you know, that's, that's a coincidence. But when it's two and three and four and five times that I've seen people attack me grievously and say evil things about me and attack me, and then all of a sudden terrible things happen to them, I can't call that a coincidence anymore. And so God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So we have to be aware that, you know, vengeance is mine. I will repay, say it the Lord, that if you're God's kid, God's going to defend you. He's going to protect you. Just be aware of that. Now, I didn't get back at any of those that hurt me because I know who my protector, my sustainer, and my defender is. So I don't got to get back at people for when I know they hurt me. I'll let God do that. Uh, many times I have seen God take vengeance upon those again and repay those who have come against me. Uh, and, and same in our uh, whole of Acts 12. Herod waged war on the Christians and their church. And God, really? What did he do? He, he waged war back on them. He absolutely did. He waged war back on Herod. Christians, we must give place for God's wrath on our adversaries if we have any, or if people choose to be our adversaries. And, and whenever anyone attacks us, we're in God's hands, okay? He, he's either going to let us live or he's going to let us fall. But why don't we let him be the judge of whether we live or whether we fall, right? And, and no matter which way he will allow for us, uh, don't attack or take vengeance for yourself. God Almighty says that that's his place, not ours. Is this concept hard for you? God, it's been hard for me in the past, but God comforted me with this thought on that concept, okay? Do you really know how to reap? I mean, yeah, you can take vengeance for yourself and yeah, absolutely. I mean, I used to before the flesh, and maybe as a young Christian, I'm, I might have, and definitely before the, before the Lord Jesus Christ. But do we really know how to take vengeance on people like God knows how to take vengeance on people? I'd say since God created people, He knows the best way 
to take vengeance on him and repay him. That's what I'd say. Now, I hope that that's your opinion because he's God and I'm not. So he knows the better way and you don't. So give place for God if you know that somebody's attacking you or somebody's come against you. Let God deal with them. Again, I think God knows how to repay and take vengeance against those that have hurt us and done evil against us way better than we do and way better than you could ever know how to take vengeance on them. And not only if we do it God's way, what do we see? We see that God wins. Look at our last verse, verse 24. God wins. But the word of God grew and multiplied. We see the war. We see the counterattack by the Christians. We see God's counterattack on Herod as he smites him down. And God wins, right? They prayed nonstop and fervent, consistent prayers. And God Almighty through Jesus Christ. And he heard their prayers and answered their prayers. And he won the war. And then he won the eventual war, which we know if, if you know your Bibles. That God wins the war in the end anyway. Did you know that? We may have these little small victories now. But God wins the war in the end for sure. Now, just a quick warning, and I have to warn, it's my responsibility, just a quick warning to all you, my fellow Christian followers out there on this topic. I must warn you, and please take what I say now as, as heavy as you possibly can. The info that we covered today about what happened to Herod and how God dealt with Herod, and how you know that was God's vengeance on Herod, is kind of sensitive. It's really kind of sensitive. And, and really, I want you to handle it with, with a lot, a lot, a lot of care. Uh, so I want you to check your hearts right now, Christians, and, and make sure you're not joyful or rejoicing over God's vengeance or repaying those like Herod and those that have hurt you or me or we've not, have done any evil against us personally because this is spiritually dangerous. This is spiritually dangerous. You see, even though Jehovah will strike vengeance upon those whom have done evil or harm to you or me, we need to be careful how we rejoice or how we'll hold on forgiveness in our hearts toward them when we see this vengeance being poured out on them. Because even though Jehovah will repay those that hurt or do evil to you or me, uh, he would rather them repent and turn to him and be saved just like he did Saul of Tarshish. I mean, he was going to strike Saul of Tarshish down, but Saul repented. Okay, and, and so God wants them to repent. God says in his word, Ezekiel 18.23, Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God, and not that he should turn from his ways and live? This is what God desires. 2 Peter 3, 9. God desires none to perish, but all to come to repentance. And it tells us that he's long-suffering toward us, so toward people. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, 1-4. Therefore I exhort first of all, out of Paul's mouth, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all our authority, that we may lead quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Verse 4. Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. All men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Who's all men? Is that just the elect? Is that just a certain group of people? Is that all? No, it's not all. God loves everybody. And his first desire is that no matter what anybody's done, he wants you to repent and turn to him. Even if you've hurt God's kids. And, and so Christians, before we get happy about those whom have brought us evil upon us or have hurt us really bad, uh, that God's repaying them, we must not forget that his word also says Proverbs 24. This is a, this is a big one. Proverbs 24, 17, 18. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Least the Lord see it and it displease him and he turn away his wrath. From him. So our enemies are God's enemies, right? And that's what we gather from Christ says that those are mine. That if God's your friend, I'm your friend, right? So we know that if, if those that love God are our friends, then those that hate God are God's enemies, but they're also our 
enemies, right? And God doesn't want us to rejoice over his judgment over those whom have done wickedness or evil to you or against us or to anybody. He, he wants us to love them as he is love. And, and he wants us to pray for them in his hope that maybe his judgment before it strikes them down in a terrible, horrible way will turn them to him and away from their wickedness and evil and their following of Satan. In, in like manner, you don't want to rejoice over their judgment and God see it and pull away from laying his judgment upon them. We don't want that either. Because if God sees it fit to lay a certain judgment on somebody, then we want to let God's judgment continue to go on until it's done to the fullest, right? And then maybe, just maybe, since he doesn't want, you know, since he doesn't, if he doesn't finish his job of judgment because we're prideful over, right? They don't come to the end of themselves and they don't turn to him and they don't get saved and they don't come to repentance to life and Jesus Christ. And do you want to be responsible for that? I don't. I'd rather hate. It's in God's hands. I see the judgment coming. Man, God, I, I, Lord, save him with that, Lord. I know you don't want to destroy him, but, but save him with that. So again, Christians, please handle this subject that we talked about with the most sensitivity that you can. and Don't be happy about God's judgment against those who are his or our enemies. Forgive them, love them, and pray for them. And maybe, just maybe, like Saul to Paul, that would happen to them. Wouldn't it be great to have more Sauls come to Pauls nowadays? Wouldn't that be awesome? Like Our society, our world could use more Pauls, couldn't it? Be joyful that you have a faithful creator, defender, and rock, the one that holds the whole universe in the span of his hand, and the one that knows every single hair of your head. Amen. Be joyful about that. There's a lot of things to be joyful about. But don't be joyful about God striking judgment on somebody. That, that's not something you should be happy about. Check, check yourself in that. Now, on, on the other side of the coin, maybe you're listening to this message and you're, not, you're either not truly saved or you're not born again or not sure that you're not born again, which I'd say if I'm not sure about something, like for instance, if I applied for a job and I wasn't sure that I was really hired, Am I really sure that I have that job? Not at all. So if you're not sure, maybe I'm not sure I'm born again, because you're probably not, then if you're not, uh, it's that simple. And maybe you're, Or maybe you're just listening to this message, and you're one of those people like Herod, or one of those that have, have attacked and done evil uh, to me, or to God's other children, or, or Christians across the world, because this message reaches out to the whole world. And, and I've had listens, listeners from Israel, and Pakistan, and, and, and all over the world. And maybe God's been bringing judgment against you because of the evil that you've done in attacking God's servants. I, I don't know where you're at with God Almighty or Jesus Christ. I, I don't know. But either way, my only words to you would be these. This is what God wants from you. These judgments, God doesn't want to destroy you. God desires Jesus Christ, Matthew 16, 24, 25. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. It's the ultimate step of repentance. It's taken you off. See, we're born as the ruling parties of our lives. That's how we're born. We're born as the captain of our ships. We are the rulers of our own world, of our everything we do. God allows that because he allows free will. And, of course, taking self off of throne, which is what really denies self, means it means you laying down the authority that God gave you over your own life and surrendering it unto him. It means, it means waving the white flag of surrender. It's the heart belief that Paul speaks about in Romans 10 and the faith that God Almighty is looking for. This is where you become born again, the, the sweet surrender, the waving the white flag of surrender to Christ. Jesus Christ, I need you to take my life. Savior, I can't live without your reign in my life. It's the point where you decide to bend the knee and submit to the Lord. The cross before me, the world behind me. God, I don't, I don't, I've been messing up my life so bad. I can't live this way anymore. Jesus, it's your way now. Not what my way anymore. And, and this is deny self. Many have confused this over the years. But deny himself 
means to take yourself off the throne of your life and let Jesus Christ be on that throne. And that's what God desires from you. And then, of course, he continues to tell us that the next step, of course, it does it, that's like just getting hired for the job, right? Well, when we get hired for the job, that's not the end. Right? We get hired for the job, and then what? Have you ever been in a job where you just get hired on, and then they go, all right, we'll just go take a seat in the break room. We'll take a nap or something. You're fine. Chill out. You're, you're all right. I've never heard of a job ever that's ever told me that. Any job that I ever applied for, they're like, okay, now you're hired. Okay, come on, let's get you out here. Let's show you what to do. Right, so here we take yourself off your throne, put Christ on uh, the cross before him, the world behind me. Uh, Jesus, I need you, I'm yours. Now, he says, Matthew 16 24, and take up his cross. What does that mean? Well, what does, what does a cross, what does, what does you taking up your cross represent? Just, just think about it logically. What does it mean to take up your cross? Well, that, what did Jesus do when he took up his cross? Well, what happened to him on that cross? Well, he was crucified. His flesh was crucified. Get it? 2 Corinthians 7.1 is what he's saying. Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness, a crucifixion of your flesh now. God doesn't want you to live in sin as a real Christian. God doesn't want you to live in any practice of any sin as a Christian. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 1 Peter 1, 15, 16. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Now the world's got this wrong. The world says, well, you got to get holy. You got to stop all your sin. You got to stop doing all this. And then it's like, if you, were, if you repent from all your sin, then you'll be saved. But you see, that's the work of, that's the doctrine of works. The, the true repentance is a change of heart, a change of mind toward Christ. Christ, I need you here. Take my life. Then comes, hey, now we're going to stop sinning. Now God expects us to live a holy life. Uh, as I said, he who called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct. Because this is written, be holy, for I am holy. And that's a command. That's not, I become holy in Christ. We do, that is true. If you're in Christ, if you have turned to Christ right now, then you have become holy. But then there is still that life that you must live for the Lord. That is a life that that's a life that God expects us to live a certain way, like that job we got hired onto. We got to live a certain way, and that's of course one of the ways that God desires us to live is to live in holiness, right? And then his last thing he tells us, of course, the last job requirement after we've been hired is he says, "Follow me." Now, what is that? That's being a student of Jesus Christ's teachings his ways of life, his ministry in every way, in following his ways and letting these new ways, Christ's ways, slowly replace, it's called sanctification, slowly replace your old ways. Well, I live this way, well, Jesus, oh, wait a minute, oh, I shouldn't do that. No, son, this is the way I want you. See how my son lived, my Jesus? Oh, okay, follow him. So, of course, take yourself off the throne. Focus on living what God thinks is a holy life, and then follow Jesus Christ. And, and, and Jesus didn't want to leave anybody kind of up in the air. He said, you know, I, I want you to really understand the, the point of salvation the most. He goes on in verse 25, he says this, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Well, if you want the rule of your life, then you'll lose your eternal life. Because he'll let you be the captain of your own ship. He'll let you drive your own car. But, I, but as me, for 18 years ago, I was driving my car right to hell. That's just the way it is. That's the way it is. But, he says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Well, notice the losing the life for my sake shall find it. That means the person that said, here's my life, my earthly life, my rule over my earthly life. God, here, take it. I want to be yours now. Because of Jesus. And then Jesus says here, and that one that does that will find it. Jesus Christ wants you to repent of being the Lord or master of your life, the captain of your own ship, and he wants you to be converted. And this only happens when you lose your life for his sake. Put your faith in Christ and surrender to Christ. Jesus, I need you with a surrender to him. And this is an every day until you die. As I don't know about you, but even though I've been converted a long time ago, I still wake up in the morning and the first inclination that I want to have is I want to rule my life again. 
And I got to say, Jesus, come on. I need you again today. I, I can't do anything without you. That's the kind of attitude. I, I don't know where you're at with God or, or Christ, but he does. And, and he laid down his life for you, even though you are or, were or are currently, if you're not his, you're his enemy. And he did this so that you could have a beautiful relationship with him now in this life until you die. And an eternal relationship with him forever in paradise. Jesus Christ, Revelation twenty-two seventeen, His cry out to you right now, if you're not his, if you're not sure you're born again, and the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Repent, so turn to Him in faith and surrender today and be saved and be cleansed from your sins and receive the implanted Word of God. If you're not His, won't you cry out to Him today? Fall on your face. Jesus Christ, I need you. Save me. I have ruined my life. Jesus Christ, I am the Lord of my life. I see that. Lord, I want you to have that. Jesus, I'm tired and I'm thirsty. And you just said, your word just said that if I cry out, if I'm thirsty, I could come to that water and I could get it. Jesus, I want that water. Give me that water. I need it right now. Please save me. And I'm sorry for all the things, Lord, I've done. I'm sorry for being the Lord and ruler of my own life. Please, Jesus, save me. Please make me born again so that I can be your adopted child. I need you. I need you. Something like that. There's no such thing in the Bible as a prayer of salvation. Not, not even one prayer of salvation, but, but a hard cry from the heart for if we believe or if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and we believe in our heart, the heart belief is the belief that leads you to turn to Him, then the Bible says that ye shall be saved. So wherever you're at, if you're not His, or you're not even sure that you're not His, turn to Him right now. Please repent. Cry out to Him with all that you are. And come to Him. Let's pray. God, thank You for bringing us here today. Lord, thank You for giving us this awesome message. Lord, thank You, Lord God, for uh, giving us Your Word. Lord, thank You for Your love, for Your forgiveness, for Your grace. Lord God, Ezekiel, Lord, 18... or Lord, you're just, you don't want the wicked one to perish. You would rather the wicked one turn from his ways. Well, in, in the way now in the New Testament under, under Christ's new covenant, Lord, we know that that way that you want us to turn away from the most, Lord, is the way of our self-rulership, of being the master of our own way. God, please, Lord, help those that are listening to this message. Help them to turn away from the Master and the Lordship of they have our own lives, Lord, and help them to surrender that to you. Because, Lord, you won't take it from us. That's one thing about you, Lord. You're a gentleman. Lord, you're an awesome, 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 respectful, loving Father. And, Lord, you will not take our will. You will not take our, our ruling of our own lives away from us. You just won't, rem- you just won't rip it from us, Lord. You, you, that's not real relationship. Lord, you, you want us to make a decision to turn to you of our own accord, Lord. You're calling and always calling and always drawing. You just want us to respond. Please, Lord God, help those that are listening today that haven't responded yet, Lord. Help them to respond now. We thank you and we love you and we praise you. And ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name.